Well, hi again, everybody, to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Honored that you join me to continue talking with some significant Oregon State players, coaches, former coaches, former staff members, whoever it may be, about their playing days or whatever they did at Oregon State, what they've learned while at OSU, and what they've done since then. And recently in episodes, we've talked about maybe the most important newsworthy topics today in America and not wanting to shy away from what's going on where light is being shed on on not new issues of racial injustice and police brutality. And while this conversation, I talked with Rashi Wortham, we actually talked more than a month ago. We didn't specifically talk about that topic. I knew I would use this podcast at some point. I initially talked to him just for a documentary I'm producing on uh, the 2015 Oregon State men's basketball program when Wayne Tinkle had seven walk-ons on that team and started five of them in the Civil War. The team was not expected to be very good. It ended up actually being pretty successful. Rashi Wortham was on that staff. He was the director of player personnel, so he kind of sees a back behind-the-scenes look at what these players are doing academically, who they were as people, what Wayne Tinkle was trying to do in that program. So that was the initial reason I reached out to Rashi, who I enjoyed talking with him when he was in Corvallis. He since moved on. He was coaching at Montana. Now he lives up in Tacoma and works in the insurance game. So we talk about what he's doing now. But the reason that I chose Rashi to release his podcast now is I appreciate a story about a person of color who's investing in the lives and has invested in for years in the lives of young students and athletes who are trying to be or maybe don't realize that they need to be more than just athletes and what sort of platform they have. And that was the conversation Rashi and I had. And it wasn't even specifically about uh, what's going on in the news today, but I think it is relevant, uh, a voice and a perspective that is pertinent to today and a guy who really cares about the youth, the young men, the college students that we see go through Oregon State and the other places he's worked. And so it was interesting to hear from Rashi. One of the stories in particular, if you're not familiar with Chai Baker, is one of the guys he brought up. I'll explain Chai's story so that when he talks about it, you'll know who he's speaking of. Chai Baker was a guy who never actually played basketball for Oregon State. He signed out of Florida and was going to be a pretty phenomenal player by all Uh, expectations, but shortly before his career started in a workout before the 2014-2015 season, he collapsed with a heart issue and had to be hospitalized and was never cleared medically to play for OSU. They did honor his scholarship and he stayed around the program, went to the games and everything, but never did play for Oregon State. And so he's one of the the better names that you may have never heard of for OSU because he never suited up and played for Wayne Sinkle. And so Rashi Wortham talks a lot about the conversations they had after that moment and uh, what Chai Baker needed to learn and how Rashi helped him. I mean, it's not just Rashi who played a role in his life, but he at least got to see the growth process Chai Baker went through. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rashi Wortham, talking with him up in Tacoma, Washington, a great guy to get to know. And I hope you learn from what he has to say. Here's Rashi Wortham on the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's start with what sort of things did you do while the director of player personnel for two seasons and and what involvement did the players have your interactions with them being involved in the community? What did that look like for two seasons? We did a lot. We did. I mean, just any, like anything that you could think of going to soup kitchens, going to read the kids, going with the Kiwanis. Uh, we did our own kind of community pickup, picked up all the trash. It was a social media deal where all the guys tweeted out and grabbed bags and people in the community came and joined us. We got them connected to the the houses on campus. There's like 
seven diversity houses. And so kind of they all had to kind of mix and mingle and be in different homes to find out what they're doing on, on campus besides basketball. And so uh, I made them really focus on outside of basketball and to grow themselves and, and figure out who they can become because all these guys are going to be done playing basketball at some point. So hopefully you'll be able to go back to some community and help that community. So that's the, on that side of things. But academically, I had uh, the study hall, quote unquote, study hall guys <laughs> that I had up along with Ardell Bailey. And so uh, they'd come into my office every single day and, and have good dialogue about basketball, about life, about academics. And, and um, I tried to be as realistic as I could with them, but but also be stern with them. I was young enough where I could still have a, rela- a relationship with them about music and, and the, the things that they did outside of basketball, um, that, that kind of party life and all that stuff. But I also wanted to, to know that there's a, there's a fine line that they couldn't be laughing and joking too much in there because we had to be serious at times as well. So you're trying to get the players to think beyond basketball, both while they're in Corvallis and, and life after basketball, regardless of how long that goes. Was there a particular player on one of those teams in the 2014 to 2016 span that you spent in Corvallis who maybe started out not really thinking beyond basketball was only focused on that but either by the time you left or or where you've seen them now in 2020 they've matured a lot and have a, a way different head on their shoulders than when you first met them you know six years ago or whenever it may be. I'll say there's, there's a couple. First, I would say Chai Baker because Chai had a major situation, life-threatening situation, and instantaneously he had to grow up. And so he and I spent a lot of time just talking about what ifs and uh, if this and if that. And, and he also was a realist after that situation happened with his heart. He's like, Coach, I got to figure something else out. And so he, he struggled a little bit academically, but he always would say, what else could I do? And I'm like, you know what? You have a story that nobody else has. You could have been gone. You could not be on this earth anymore. And so to – Think about the steps that he made and, and the struggle that he had. Um, he's one of them that I would say, like, this guy grew up r- rather quickly. And the other one is, is, is Langston Morris Walker. He and I have a good relationship still. We laugh and joke all the time, but he, he's matured. And he's making decisions for grassroots Adidas and helping those kids, helping those people and, and figuring out ways to help young men and women become successful at life. And so those are kind of the two that I remember right away that come to my office and, and were always in there. And not that they benefited from me, but they grew up. I had Langston on as an earlier guest in this podcast. It was fun to chat with him. And he actually connected me with Chai. And I'm going to reach out to Chai soon and see. uh, I haven't, you know, seen Chai in forever. I remember his story of him collapsing during a a off-season workout and basically having basketball stripped away from him. He can no longer play. And he could have been a great, from what I've heard, he could have been a really big part of that team. Mm What do you remember? You mentioned briefly about conversations you had and the, the growth process, but how big was basketball for him? Like how good of a player would he have been? And, and what specifically did he start to get into when basketball was no longer an outlet he could go to? So a couple things. First, I wasn't hired when Chai had that incident. The day he had the incident, I was supposed to talk to Coach Tinkle about signing the paperwork. And so uh, we pushed it off a while, but when I came in, he was still in the hospital. And so um, it, it was weird for me because I couldn't go see him. I didn't really know him. And so, and, and so when he came out, uh, we just connected. And, and he and I had um, some really healthy conversations because I worked for a company that helped people get jobs after college called Athletes to Business. And so I was able to go in and sit with young adults and converse with them about the long term. And so I started talking to him right away about the long term. He's like, well, maybe I'll get to play again. I said, but what if you don't? Like, and so I think he got it, but it was hard for him to fathom that he may not play basketball again. 
when you are able to share that sort of perspective with players and, and give them a larger view of life and, and the thinking ahead of what if basketball isn't a thing, whether now or later, who was it that maybe mentored you as a kid, inspired you, who gave you that vision? Because I'm guessing you weren't a mature kid at 10, 15 years old. None of us are. So who kind of instilled those values and perspective into you when you were growing up? I had basketball coaches, honestly. Um, my mom was my mom, and she and she was there for us, but we lived in the hood. Like, when people say, oh, I lived in the hood, we really lived in the hood, like right smack dab in the hood. And so um, we had to make decisions. And there was there were literally gang members that didn't want me to be part of their gang because they, they believed in me on the basketball side of things. And then there were these basketball coaches and football coaches that, like, Rashi, you need to do A, B, and C. And lucky enough that I listen because a lot of kids don't listen. Like, I, all I knew is, honestly, when I say this, I tell everybody this. All I knew was for who I was, I was going to leave my community and come back to my community one day. I didn't know how long, I didn't know when, um, but I knew that, the, I always said the club that beats the streets was influential in my life. If, if I didn't have the Boys and Girls Club, I might've been a gang member. I couldn't say I would've for sure, but I might've been because either you played sports or you joined a gang in the neighborhood that I lived in, on the street that I lived in. And so uh, I was lucky to have that. Um, I had some coaches, Cedric Collins, uh, David Bonds, Specifically, those were the guys that kind of mentored me the most and, and helped me the most, um, told me the truth about life, uh, about the streets, about college. And then my mom, my grandpa, my uh, kind of my, my, my family. But I had an older sister who went to Western Washington University. She's a few years older than me, but she, she went and graduated college before I had graduated high school. And uh, she's like, look, you, you just got to you got to focus and you have to do it. These are only options. So I knew that's what I had to do is go to college and, and figure it out from them. I had nobody in college tell me, hey, this is how you do it. This is how you're supposed to do it. Like, I just kind of did it on my own. And, and obviously you have support. But my biggest thing was just to graduate and then go do master's work. And then I should have done a PhD. Honestly, I could have I, I probably could have done a PhD if I was more focused. I wasn't focused enough. But I, I tell these young kids now, like, this basketball is going to stop. It's going to stop. And I love basketball dearly. And I don't know at what point it's going to stop, but it, it, one day it'll stop for me. And then I'll have to manage my money and I'll have to take care of my kids and I'll have to tell them the truth. And, and so uh, I'm glad that I, I had that thought process young. That sort of sentiment makes sense now to us where we can see the broader picture and, and for you and I who don't play basketball professionally, but mm-hmm after you you come out of Tacoma and you've got your coaching career and you developed a very respectable career and didn't go down the path that maybe you would have had you not had basketball and, and the mentors you had, now that you're on the other side of things and you've coached at Eastern Washington, at Oregon State, at Montana, and now you're not as full-time in coaching, but still do have an outlet to coach with kids with an AAU program in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. The message is clear. If you want kids to be more mature and you want them to see beyond basketball, but there's the other side of the actual execution of just saying that may or may not register with them. You can say Absolutely. you got you to gotta see broader than basketball, but are they really going to believe it? Is that going to respond with them? So how do you use your background to not just say the right thing, but to yep. actually help them realize, oh, I believe Rashi. I know what he's speaking and I'm going to live differently. So let me say this. You, you can tell somebody until you're blue in the face and, and you might get one person out of 10 that, that listens. And I, I, maybe I was that one person that listened, but the biggest thing is to show them. And so um, at Christmas time, just this year, we did a, a, a Hoops for Hope. Holiday Hoops for Hope is what we called it. And a basketball camp, but you, it was free for any kid. You just bring a gift. You could have brought a pencil, eraser, glasses, whatever you wanted to bring. And we donated those gifts to Salvation Army for the homeless kids. So we play for an hour. 
and then we called it halftime after after the skills and drills for the, uh, um, the hour. Then we had halftime. We all had all these different speakers, and uh, we had professional athletes like Alex Montgomery, uh, Alvin Snow, who played at Eastern Washington, was All-American, is now an NBA agent. We had a guy named Sebastian Brost, who owned like 25 Little Caesars. Um, we had a guy, John Solitaire, who was a, a doctor, a family therapist. We, we had a bunch of different speakers, right? And with those speakers, we had groups of kids. And so we, we let these kids go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Let's say we had eight speakers. So we numbered them off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And that's who they got. They went to the first time. So they listened for 10 minutes to these speakers. And then two more sessions, they get to listen for 10 more minutes for each session. So then they get to rotate and listen to who they want. And we had a, a guy named Justin Holt who signed to five division one schools and didn't play at any of them. And so just conversations that these kids can really learn from. So we can show them we had ex gang members who are actually business owners now come in and speak to these kids. And, and so they got to choose what they wanted to. And, and, and then if there wasn't a lot of um, people at one station, the parents got to fill in. And so how to buy a home with no money, like how to, how to finance a car. Like there were so many different speakers within those eight that they, these kids could learn from. And then we went back to playing basketball after that. And so just if we do that year after year, over and over, they're going to start hearing stuff and they're going to start knowing that I go to high school, I go to college, I come back, buy a car, buy a house, and I can do it without having anybody else in my mind, in my, in my presence, I can do it myself. And so um, just building a, building a self-worth in those kids and showing them how to do it. It's, it's pretty clear when you are interacting with young athletes or college players, whoever it may be, there's so many lessons you've learned where obviously those are the type of players that you're going to reach out to and you can, you can relate to them. In your more full-time gig now where you're in Tacoma and working in the insurance game and life insurance and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. is there a similar way to apply that passion in a more corporate, you know, conventional job or does it just feel like kind of a side gig that's how I pay the bills but my passions are over here or are you also passionate about that about your job and how you can impact people in that community the people you work with how, how does that fit it fit into your overall scope of, of maturity and leadership these days absolutely um, I think the biggest thing is to show like I said show people people don't understand in they, they know they have to have home and auto insurance because the state of Washington tells them that but then when you talk about life insurance and protecting the things that matter the most for people they're like man i need to take care of my family if i do pass away who's going to buy who's going to pay for this house how are my kids going to go to college and so if you just set those things up and show them how how it makes sense for them then people are jumping in they i mean they do like nine out of ten eight out of ten times they're going to say yes i need to have that somehow some way set for my family and and people always say well i have life insurance i have it through work and so the average company's like twenty thousand to one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of insurance which is terrific but if you die and your house is a $400,000 house, then what? Like, and so just to try to have honest conversations, but not put pressure on them, just to have the relationship sell because I'm not a hard sell guy. That's not my thing. Like, let's build this relationship. If it works, great. If not, then, then I get it. Well, I hope you're enjoying listening to this conversation with Rashi Wortham, formerly with Oregon State Basketball. And it was right at this point in the conversation where I told him, you know, it's hard to make sense of how does a guy who's so passionate about basketball and has a background like he does then get into selling insurance that seems so buttoned up and just an office job where you wouldn't relate as well or use the background you have but when he explained insurance the way he did you can start to see okay he's really taking the same concepts the same passion for life and 
preparation for the future. And instead of doing that in a college athletics scenery, but it's now in a broader life aspect where he's interacting with different groups of people. And like we said, you know, he's coaching some with an AAU squad and being involved there too. We did go back and talk more about the basketball team for a separate project I'm working on documenting that first year of Wayne Tinkle. And so I won't include the rest of this conversation. I'll use that audio exclusively for that project. So keep an eye out for that. But I do want to include one last portion where I asked Rashi about the Civil War in 2015. Wayne Tinkle starts five walk-ons. All were from Oregon. That team had seven walk-ons on the squad. They had open tryouts. It was a crazy year and actually pretty successfully here, all things considering the whole documentary will be about that season, the transition to the Wayne Tinkle era. But in that Civil War, it was kind of a surprise. Nobody knew. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, they're starting five walk-ons against Oregon? And it didn't last very long. They only lasted 28 seconds. And then Wayne Tinkle threw all the normal starters back in there. But I asked Rashi about that day in 2015. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, First, I applaud him for doing it. We didn't have a senior that year. And so he played all the the walk-on guys that they made that team. Like as much as Gary Payton was good and Langston was good and all these guys were good, Daniel Gomez, those guys made that team go. Without them, we couldn't even practice. And so every day they showed up. They never complained. They worked. They got their butts kicked at practice sometimes. Like, and then coach said, you know what, for this, these guys understand what this Civil War really means. I got goosebumps thinking about it now. Literally, I got chills. Um, these guys understand what it means. They'll remember it for the rest of their life. Let's give them a fair shot. Let's give them a chance. Now, when the game started and the tip went up, <laughs> it was a whole different ball game. We couldn't get the ball past half court. But they'll never forget it. And they'll have a lot uh, – uh, uh, I always say this, you live a legacy for your kids' kids, they'll live a legacy for their kids' kids because of that game. Not just that game, but the, the years they put in, the time they put in. I'll finish with a thought on Jarmal Reed because he's one of the most fun guys to talk to, and I had like a 40-minute a conversation with him a few days ago, and he opened up a little bit about, you know, when I was at OSU, I wasn't that mature. Like, I would eat whatever food I wanted. Yeah. I would eat, you know, the the – Yep. most unhealthy things all day. I didn't really put that much work into my classes. Now he's working on a second degree. He wants to do a, a master's degree after that. He's eating better. He's playing professional basketball in Australia. He's yep. still that same fun loving guy, but just a little bit more maturity for him. Mm-hmm. What do you remember since he's matured now, we can kind of laugh about his immaturity maybe in the day a little bit about uh, the things that we're glad he's grown in. But what do you remember about where Jarmal was at as a player and as a guy uh, back in, in that early Wayne Tinkle era when you were at the program? So I think Jarmal and I had the best relationship out of all the players that I had um, at that time. It was a love-hate relationship because I used to be on his butt. We loved each other, and I, and I, be- I believed in Jamal. Jamal could have helped us so much if he was right, if he would have decided to work harder and eat less and run more. And uh, But Jamal's got, got the he, – he just captivates you with his personality. Like, he laugh and joke. And anybody, if he walks into a gym and it's just him, he can make everybody laugh. And so if Jamal could have grown up a little bit more earlier, he would have had more success at Oregon State and probably would have been making more money playing basketball earlier. But he has grown up. And he and I stay in pretty good contact. We'll laugh and joke on the internet all the time. But to see him elevate what his mind is. And, and uh, he always says, what's up, little man? He's like, like what's up, little man? And, and laugh and joke, but elevate his mind and know that he's going to a higher level and that one day he's got to have kids and he's got to take care of his kids and he's got to take care of his kids' kids and his community. And he's figuring that out, which is exciting to see. It's fun to talk with him and to hear from all the players 
you played a part in impacting as, as well as Wayne and the other coaches and where they've gone. So it's fun to hear your passion for it. I'm, I'm glad you're doing well up in Tacoma with, with your family. And thanks for talking with me today, Rashi. It's fun to reconnect Man. and see you again. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm available anytime. You let me know. And then whatever, whatever you need from me, I got you. A big shout out to Rashi Wortham for joining me on this podcast. There's a lot more of this conversation I didn't include. It's just more specific to that 2015 team that I'll include in the documentary I'm producing on that season, a very special year of men's basketball, the first year of Wayne Tinkle as he led into an NCAA tournament appearance the next season. So that's a whole big project to, to keep an eye out for that'll come out a few months from now. But more importantly for this podcast, I think was Really, you could tell how much Rashi cares about the players he's interacted with, the young men he's interacted with, and how he is relevant to them and how he spreads a message of forethought and wisdom and preparation, whether it's selling insurance or coaching basketball players. You can tell he's the same person regardless. So I hope you found that conversation meaningful, and I hope to have more conversations like it going forward on this podcast. One last thing before I sign off, I also use this platform to mention nonprofits who are doing good work throughout this country and beyond. Convoy of Hope is definitely among them, helping raise money and provide meals for those impacted by the coronavirus and doing other good work in this country to help people meet challenges head on, empower them through education and resources. Convoy of Hope, you can Google them, find their website, convoyofhope.org. That's convoyofhope.org. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Hope to talk with you again soon.